This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Marissa D'Angelo. She is a teacher and she is a writer. And we're going to talk a little bit about her writing journey today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. So you wrote the Tale of the Charles Island series. Can you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to do that? And, uh, Um, yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So I was um, so I was dealing with a series of deaths in my life from uh, family members. And the, um, one of the first ones was uh, my father's death. And I would go to the beach quite often to try to get out of the house. Um, and I, you know, I would just go there to breathe, um, meditate and things like that. Um, and so I like to write, I've always liked to journal and I was writing, I was starting to write a book about the end of the world. Cause that's how I felt at that time. And so, um, this man walked over to me, I don't know his name or anything, but he walked over to me and he's like, what are you writing about? And like, I didn't really tell him much about what I was writing. Cause you know, I just was like, I don't know who, who you are. I'm not going to like talk to strangers much. And so he started talking to me. He had like a. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He had a um, a camera around his neck, and he started to talk to me about um, Charles Island, which is located in Milford, Connecticut. And um, he talked to me about the historical events in its past, as well as um, paranormal occurrences that people have um, reported on the island. And then, like, I, at that point, I was like, I need to get away from this man. Like, I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> um, but like, I stayed in any case, and uh, I was just sitting on a bench, and he continued talking, and he said that he took photographs, and he saw weird things in the photographs. And he told me about how spirits 
stay with us even after death. And like, that was so strange because I had just lost my father and this stranger didn't even know that. And, uh, you know, I thought about how my, my father does live on and, um, anyone else that has died. So, um, so it prompted me to start writing presence. Um, and it's just about like, uh, humans presence in the world after they die. And even like during and, uh, like during their lifetime. And um, it's based on a photographer. So I kind of based it on that man that I had met. And it takes place in modern day. Um, and this photographer is trying to father, follow in his father's footsteps um, and take photos. And he's um, put on an assignment to go to the island to take photographs, um, not of the paranormal, but of birds, because it's also a bird sanctuary. So, um, so when he's there, he sees the strange occurrences, and he kind of sees different things that are paranormal, like ghosts and things. And, um, and yeah, so, um, so yeah, I, I wrote that story. And I thought that I would stop there. And then it ended up being a whole series. So that's awesome. So you said that you, you you were just telling me you lost like six people in the span of what, two years, you said? Yeah. So um, after my, so first my grandfather died in January, 2020, and then my father died April, 2020. And then after that, I lost four more people within the next two years from that. Um, and it was not due to COVID at all. It was just like, you know, my, it was mainly my grandparents. Um, I had two grandfathers and then two, I have three grandmothers, but two of them also died. Um, so have I have three grandmothers. Left. So I have my great grandmother. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I, I'm really curious what your, your thoughts on, uh, like on death and on life and how the, you know, losing so many people in such a short time frame has impacted and shifted your views. So I'm like, right now I'm 27 and I guess I'm having my midlife crisis now. <laughs> yeah, you haven't quite hit midlife, but <laughs> maybe, maybe quarter um, life. <laughs> yeah, Let's like, hope. I, like, so many people around me dying, it just kind of makes you wake up and you're like, whoa, like I really need to get going on like, on like accomplishing my goals and mm -hmm. doing things that I want to do in this lifetime before it's too late. Um, and I feel feel that death kind of uh, people face it in all different ways and people go through all the different stages. They might go backwards or forwards through the whole uh, cycle of uh, grief. And mm -hmm. for me, like I was constantly dealing with bargaining. Like, what if I did that? What if I, you know, I went, you know, back home for a little bit and I checked on my dad at that time. Like, what if, what if, and, you know, I go through all of this, but I mean, at the end of the day, um, it's the acceptance that we have to try to get to. And, um, I feel like when I write my books, it's, it's kind of like accepting that spirituality part of it in that, um, the people are still here. Like, it's not, it's a little bit of denial, like, I guess, but, um, but it's like, they are because like, I do a lot of things that like remind my grandmother of my father, for instance. And like, you know, I like, you know, I remind a lot of people of my father, um, or my other grandmother, like the other day I started writing notes on an envelope and I was like, why am I writing my notes on an envelope on like the side? I have paper over there. And I was like, oh my gosh, grandma used to do that. So like they really do, everybody impacts us in many ways. Um, and we do carry that with us forever. 
Absolutely. That's so beautiful. It sounds like you're, you have a very close family. You're very close to your yeah. grandparents and to your father. Yeah. 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 What, wh- how has writing helped you? You were saying that it was really healing for you. So after I wrote Presence, I ended up writing Chasing Time, which is a memoir. Um, and so when I was in high school, I, um, I didn't really talk. Like I would never come on a show like this. I would, I didn't really even talk to anyone near me. I didn't barely talk to like my parents. Um, I just want to be left alone. I was that kind of teenager. Um, and so I went to therapy and cause my parents were like, all right, we need to get her to therapy to try to get through some of um, the difficulties she's having. And uh, they started having me write down things um, because I wouldn't really talk. And so the, um, my memoir consists of a lot of my journal entries from when I was a teenager up through college and so on and so forth. Um, and it, it, it's, it's funny, painful, and, and like awesome all in, all in one, because it shows like my, some of my best experiences with my grandparents and my dad and my mom. And then it shows some of my worst experiences. Um, there's one chapter in here where I do talk about my dad's death and how I found out and what happened after that. Um, you know, and so, cause I'm an only child. So like, and he didn't have a wife. Um, so I had to be the executor of his estate and I had to do everything and like basically learn the ropes of a lawyer. Um, so, you know, it, it wow. it's like you're forced into a position and you just have to do it, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot to take on. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the writing, I, I, I love that you talked about how you incorporated your journal entries. I wish I had journaled. I was never a journaler. And looking back, I really wish I had done that. What was it like for you to look at uh, the time then and, you know, where you are in your life now and, you know, the perspective that you have losing, you know, so many loved ones? So it's like breaking down a wall because for me, my coping strategy was that I would put up a wall and like kind of conceal a lot of the traumatic memories in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, so like when I started writing, I like then had to face those things, um, and, and confront them head on. Um, but when I look back at my diaries, um, I guess it depends on which diary I look at, but the ones when I was really young, like I wrote some when I was in first grade. So like, and I still have them in in like a Hello Kitty journal, but, but, um, (laughs) but but I I mean, the ones from high school, like it's, it's, um, it's eye opening because a lot of those things I had suppressed a lot of those memories, I just didn't really remember. And then when I, when I read what I wrote, I was like, wow, like, and it, it kind of pieces together the puzzle of who I am. Wow. So you, you teach, right? You teach a a second grade, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Do you encourage them to write? Yes. And they absolutely love writing. Um, so every year I, um, I make all of the writing lessons throughout the whole year for the grade level. Um, so my team takes on a subject per each teacher. So like, and then we teach everything, but like in terms of making lessons, like I took on writing, I was like, I, 
I volunteer, <laughs> I'll do it. Because um, everybody else was like, nah, I don't really want that. I want science or whatever. So um, when we start out at the beginning of the year, we do narrative writing. And so that's like story writing. And uh, the kids really like it, especially when it gets around Halloween time and they get to choose um, a different like Halloween-ish character mm -hmm. and they get to tell the story however they want. Um, and having that freedom made my students actually makes them always love writing. Um, we would have like a meeting every morning. And at the end of the year, I was like, what's your favorite subject? Um, or what did you like this past year? And then one student was like, well, I used to hate writing, but Miss D'Angelo made me like it again. <laughs> That's so, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you find, I, I feel like in today's society, uh, very few children are being taught to write. Very few are reading. Uh, reading has deteriorated significantly. And so I'm curious as a, someone who writes and you have written several books now, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so I think that you have to have a lot of patience to be a writer and a reader. Um, and I think that a lot of kids are running out of that patience. Um, and I don't know what it can, what it's contributed to, like, because, you know, when I grew up, I had dial up internet. So I had a lot of patience developing <laughs> from a young age, but the kids now they just boom, it's on and good at them. Like it's just there. And, um, you know, whether it be them playing Minecraft and they just get that automatic, like, you know, a uh, reward or whatever, they, they are not as patient as they used to be. And I think that by them coming back into schools after COVID, it's been really helpful for them because they need to get outside of their house. They need those social experiences and it helps to um, kind of change their mind frame and allow them to learn more patience as well. So, um, so that's really helpful. Cause like my kids this past year, um, they, they kind of acted a little bit younger than like I'm used to because like they had been on um, virtual the whole year prior. So like a lot of things like you're not sharing, that was like kindergarten, first grade things. And like, you know, it's like, come on. And by the end of the year, like then we ended up solving it, but <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. So you feel like you saw some kind of a, a, a delay in emotional development and social development? Yes. Yeah. Were they uh, reading much during, do you think, I, I guess this is a twofold question. Do you, were, do you, were they reading much during that time? And do you think that they're, that reading would help in any way to improve some of those social emotional development skills? So I think reading would definitely help, but it really is unfortunate that we all are coming from different demographic backgrounds and like, you know, economic backgrounds, like, you know, some kids will have parents that can get them a tutor and can do all of those things. But then there's some kids that the parents are struggling. Maybe it's a single mother or single father and, and they don't have the money to do that. They're working all day and they can barely support um, both of them and, or the whole family if they have more kids. And so, um, by going into school and being able to have access to a library and things like that, it really helps everyone. Like, mm -hmm. and the kids who um, were already a bit advanced, they are tended to a lot by their parents and they have that luxury. So mm -hmm. um, I think that it helps everyone as a whole to, to be in school um, because not everyone has access to the same things outside of it. Sure, sure. What, 
I, I'm really curious about this, uh, the, the development, you know, and, and what you saw, um, you know, this, this year versus previous years. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you were talking about, like the sharing, uh, that that's more of a kindergartner type thing? What, what are some things that you saw that were delayed or, yeah. Um, so like maybe some of the things were like being able to speak to the other students, like in the way beginning of the year, they kind of knew each other from kindergarten, which was two years prior um, right. before COVID. But like they were just very shy and I would have to give them things to talk about, like because I'd say, OK, turn and talk. And then like after they were done talking about a math equation or whatever, then they'd say, what do we talk about now? And I was like, talk about your weekend like your time like and and it was like so weird like and I wasn't used to that and you know we would have to um we had a program called second step and so um it's a social emotional program and uh this every morning we would go over different scenarios um with the students of things happening and what to do instead like for example if we're in art class and Susie gets red paint on my white dress like you know, the first response could be like, Susie, how dare you? And like screaming. Um, the second response could be like, Susie, I'm really sad now. Like my, this was my white dress. And then Susie could say like, either deal with it and be mean, or she could say like, oh, let me help you. Or like, let's go to the teacher. Let's try to get it out. Or I'll make you a card. Like, I'm really sorry. So we talk about those different, um, problem solving techniques because I feel like problem solving it's always a struggle for young children but I feel like it particularly was because I had 20 about 20 students last year and cramming them all into the classroom after they had so much time to themselves during COVID was like you know such a change so yeah for sure is the social emotional component is that something new or has that always been in your uh, um, so that, um, that was something new at the school that I'm working at now. It was, it was new as of like two years ago, but, um, wow. but yeah, so they're so trying they, to, so they yeah. started it in 2020. Yeah, I think so around then. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I'm very familiar with the SEL and I don't support it. I, I don't think that that's the way the students should learn. I, I think schools should be much more geared towards learning the foundations that they need, like reading, writing, math. Um, and I'm seeing a huge shift to focus on social emotional. And that's something, well, I think it's important for children to develop, you know, socially, emotionally, they should develop that through the interaction with, with other students, uh, not being yeah. told how to respond, you know, that that's part of their own development. You know, I, I can just imagine I would not have done well. <laughs> I'm yeah, not it's like, yeah, yeah it's like certain students, I mean, well, everybody doesn't like when their feelings are put in a spotlight. And so it's very difficult to kind of work around that in the program. But um, there's other times where they can learn. And one of the biggest times that my students have said that they learned mm -hmm. was during science when they do projects. So in the beginning of the year, we had a spaghetti tower project. They okay. were given spaghetti and marshmallows and they had to build the tallest tower with their team in the matter of like, um, I think it was 10 minutes. And so like some of the groups got real pissed at each other. They were like, he took all the spaghettis and then, and then he was playing with them. Then he tried to eat marshmallows and then blah, blah. So 
Um, and then we did this a similar thing with peeps, um, kind of, you know, around April, Easter time, we used mm -hmm. a peep marshmallow and like, we used like the spaghetti things to try to build a nest or whatever. Um, it was just like a STEM um, project mm -hmm. and they did much better. And like, we had students say like, okay, we've got five minutes left. We have to make sure we do this. Okay, let's like, and it was like so cool seeing the hands-on learning and like, yeah. yes, it was miserable at the beginning of the year for me <laughs> and for them, but, sure. but like we came a long way. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's really encouraging yeah. to hear. Yeah. Hmm. So let's get back to your, your books and the themes of the book. Um, so what, what is, what's the main thing that you would like people to take away from your books? Um, so the main thing from all of my books is that, um, you know, there are good and bad spirits and, um, and they exist and, um, and that people live on, um, no matter what past death, um, each of my books are standalone. And so even though it's like a series, um, you can read them in any order that you like, because um, this one's in modern day. But when I was looking into the history of the books, I um, was, you know, reading about the Native American tribe, the Pogasets. And I actually visited their reservation um, and I gave them a handful of books um, to read. And I donate 10% of the proceeds of this series to them, as well as the reforestation of the island. But um, anyway, aside from that, this one is based on Katori, um, who is the chief's son. And there's a Wendigo spirit, this like creepy thing in the background. Um, and it lurks the island. And so Katori is like, I want to go to the island. And like his grandma is like, it's off limits. We can't go there. It's forbidden. And he's like, why? I don't understand. So throughout the story, he's trying to like figure out the truths behind the island and why it's forbidden. So. Wow. Did you always have a, a spiritual kind of uh, bent? Did you always believe that spirits were kind of, it sounds like you believe um, they're eternal, like they live on and they're. Yeah, so not always. Not always, but then um, after dealing with so many deaths recently, um, then it, it's kind of been my only way to cope. Like it's, and like my grandmother actually died July 3rd. And um, we, when we went to bury her, we had her, um, she had a purple urn on a table right above her uh, parents' grave because she was going to be buried with her parents. And so everybody was standing like maybe six or seven feet away from this table. And we were just saying our last prayers and things. And all of a sudden, this yellow butterfly landed on the urn, on the purple urn. And wow. then it just took off. And we all saw it. And we were like, what just happened? I mean, maybe it was a coincidence, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know just you know there's strange yeah. things we can't understand that happen for sure without a doubt there absolutely are intelligible truths <laughs> that we we can't fathom and we can't explain for sure how has looking at things from a eternal spiritual uh, perspective changed things for you um it's changed things for me to um I guess it's like, 
has helped me to not feel that alone. Um, so even though I'm an only child, like I feel like I'm still in a way surrounded by like my loved ones. And because I was so close with my loved ones, I have a lot of um, memories and things that I cherish mm -hmm. um, with them. So like um, I went to doo-wop concerts with my grandfather and my, my nonni and nono, I call them, but, um, and that's Italian for grandmother and grandfather. But um, but I went to those doo-wop concerts and one of them was Bowser's doo-wop. And he was, um, he was in Greece, actually. A lot of people know his band from Greece. But anyway, um, when Jay and the Americans, my record comes on, cause I still listen to records. Um, I'm a weird person. Um, but wow, anyway. you listen to records. Yeah. So are they like your grandparents records or? Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I'll put it on and like, I'll think about them or like, if even something comes on on the radio and like, it's a song that I connect to them like it you know there's just so many things and it makes me feel less alone mm -hmm. um you know and so many weird signs um like when I um after my father died I had a few weeks to go through his whole house to get everything out before it was sold and um and so I was sitting on the bedroom floor and uh, normally um, whenever I would sleep over my father's house in my bedroom, cause he kept it the same. Cause I still five years old always to mm -hmm. him. Um, he, he used to get a snow globe that had Jack Skellington in it from nightmare before Christmas. And he would like wind it every night, right before I went to bed and he would set it on the, um, dresser. So after he died, I was sitting on the floor and I looked at, I looked at it on the cabinet and it was broken, like it wasn't cracked, but the head, Jack Skellington's head wasn't glued in anymore. So it was just like floating in the thing. So anyway, kind of scary, but, um, but I was sitting there on the floor and it just starts, it starts like as if it was wound and it starts its song. And like, I didn't touch it. I didn't breathe on it. Like I was across the room sitting down. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's changed my life in many ways because the only way to explain all these strange things is that the people that I love are still here. Oh, I love that. I think it's a really hard thing for a lot of people to e even entertain, you know, people, especially today. And I actually think this has a lot to do with our education system. I think we are taught, uh, so I don't know at the age that you teach, but it's, I, I'm curious your thoughts on it. Uh, but I think that we are the this the educational system and certainly our just our world in general has very much shifted towards a very uh, material view and you know things that are not um, you know it's just they don't really teach metaphysical kind of concepts anymore you know spiritual metaphysical it, things are very much rooted in kind of empirical tangible. Tang yeah, tan tangible, logical kind of uh, thought processes and uh, materials. So I think that as a result, it's it's very hard for people to step outside that framework and to even entertain the notion that there might be, uh, I mean, there's so much we don't know and there's so much we can't explain. So it would make sense that whether you believe it or not, that to at least entertain it and to be uh, versed in uh, and equipped with tools to be able to deal with metaphysical concepts. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, it's hard for teachers because like, 
I feel like there's a lot of stigma. Like if I brought in my religion to anything like there, like I, I couldn't like there, you know, there's, there's a lot of stigma around that. And like, I, I wouldn't impose that on anyone, but I did have a student whose cat died and um, he came in and he was like, kind of depressed and so he was just sitting there and the other kid was like what happened and I was just watching their conversation and so then he's like well my cat died we had to put her down and then the other kid's like oh no I'm sorry and then the other kid was like it's okay she's in heaven now and she's not in pain anymore and so I was like you know I was <laughs> listening to this and I was like wow like you know it, it really does come from home um and that stems back to not all of these kids come from perfect homes um right. and you know well, or, I would or argue home. nobody comes from a perfect home but it's true yeah. true yeah. but like in terms of like are they getting enough food are they able to get enough sleep are people arguing all the time do they have heat hot water do you know like is there anyone to pick them up from the bus each day like or do they wander around i had one student not in the school that i work at now but um they had it was an inner city school a long time ago and uh they had special needs and they were dropped off by the bus and no one was there to get them. And so they were wandering around the, the neighborhood in the inner city and they were eventually, they, they were found, but it was just like, you know, there's some kids that don't come from these backgrounds. Uh, unfortunately, it's just like a, it's kind of like a draw of the cards. Like you don't know what you're going to get, what hand you're going to get. Sure. No, that's absolutely true. You, you never know. I, I always say life is like a, a, a game of cards and you're dealt a hand, but it's up to you how you play that hand. So I think that, you know, the, one of the things that is helpful for students is to be taught to make the most of the hand that they're dealt, because the reality is everybody's going to have challenges. So some students may have you know, a more stable home environment. And certainly that's an advantage. Some may have, uh, you know, more resources at home and that's going to be an advantage, but you never know what disadvantages they have either. And that's, you know, kind of true just throughout life. Everybody, no, nobody's dealt that perfect hand, you know? Yeah. So I, I think it's really helpful for, uh, especially at a young age for people to understand that. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I do too. Um, and we do like, cause like if we come back from a vacation, I tell some of the kids to be mindful about, you know, bragging about where they went. Like, oh, I went to Paris or I went here, there, whatever. And, you know, it's, it's hard because, um, they want to share where they were, but like, you know, it also makes other people feel bad. And I guess it's okay to feel bad. It's normal, yeah. but um, you know, but it, it also, it, it just is, it's tough on, on them. It really is. Yeah. I would, I would, I would actually encourage you to kind of flip that framework because I think, you know, we're going to feel bad. And if children can't learn how to deal with feeling bad, you know, at a young age, right. And then life's going to yeah. get increasingly harder, right. As they get older. Yeah. So I think for me, and this is, you know, not to tell you how to teach your kids, but I think what's really helpful, I don't know how familiar you are, like with my personal story. Um, but, you know, I've dealt with a lot of challenges. I had a lot of, you know, blessings and, you know, there were a lot of things I got that other people didn't get, but I certainly was dealt some, you know, significant challenges from a very young age. And I think the thing that has always helped me is you know, coming from a place of gratitude. What were the things that I did have that 
you know, I was super grateful for. And so not in a perspective of comparing because as humans, you know, as adults, we do that too, right? But I think it's, yeah. it might be useful for the kids to be able to share. And, you know, I, I don't know that I would even look at it as bragging. They're at that age, I don't think they necessarily, sure, there may be some, but I think most of them don't see it that way. They're excited. They had a great yeah. time and they want to tell others about their great time. So I think maybe it would be useful for them to, for everybody to have, you know, point out the things they're grateful for. Because you'd be yeah. surprised those things, and, and you, I think, could really speak to this as somebody who appreciates the spiritual, you know, not all the things that we're grateful for are the tangible, concrete, concrete or material, right? Sometimes yeah. the things we're most grateful for are really outside of that realm. And that might be interesting for the children. And I think in some ways it would be probably really helpful for them. Right. Yeah, definitely. Think? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So for you in, uh, how many books are in your series? <laughs> so now there's actually the fourth one is coming out in a wow. few weeks. Um, yeah, I think by April 5th, it'll be, uh, not April, oh my gosh, August. I got the oh, yeah. first letter right. August wow. 5th, um, it'll be out. But yes, yeah, so I um, I came on with the Cursed Spirit. That's on the Native American tribe in the 1600s. And then after that is in 1651, there was a pirate named Captain Kidd. Um, and he came from uh, Greenock, Scotland. And this is his story. And the overall gist of the story is um, telling how he became a pirate and was he truly bad? Um, you know, was he framed um, by the other people of that time? Which it seems so when you dive into the history of uh, William Kidd, um, it seems like he was kind of framed because um, he was hired to capture a lot of French vessels during the War of Allegiance. And then um, when he did that, then he was told that he was doing it privately and that he was going to be hung. And so it was, it's just a little bit strange how he was hired for it. And then they kind of changed their mind. Um, so yeah, it goes through his story from when he was a young boy all the way to when he grows up and it has a bit of a twist at the end. Um, Cause I always include twists. And then the one that's coming out in August on the 5th, um, is called the Curse Inn, and that is based in the 1800s. There was a resort on the island, mm. and people would take their boat there to stay at the resort. So um, there was a man and his daughter that basically ran it. Um, the daughter was named Sarah Pritchard, and I changed the name to Lady Angeline, even though she didn't have any kids or anything. There's no like, you know, but I still wanted to just change the name to be respectful, but because um, my stories are fictional. Um, but it's based on about the um, curse on the on the island in the resort. Wow! So they they are fictional, but you uh, base them on stories of real people. It sounds yes. like. Okay. How do you go about doing the research for that? Um, so I have worked with some other authors that are nonfiction authors. And I've also like, for, for example, for the cursed spirit, I went to the Indian reservation um, mm. in Connecticut in Trumbull, and I got to meet the chief and it was an amazing experience. I felt like mm. a diplomat. I was like, I'm meeting with the chief. So, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, so Siri's talking to me. Um, so yeah, um, this cursed spirit, I got some of the Native American culture from them and also um, Charles Brilvich. Um, he's an author of nonfiction um, books about that tribe. Oh, wow. Very cool. 
Yeah, that's, yeah. that's super exciting. And so yeah. then how is the process? I think uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, uh, Vic, we talked a little bit about this. I think the process of writing a book is pretty daunting for a lot of people, right? So, and I, I don't know, I think there's, when it comes to fiction versus nonfiction, there's, there's pluses and minuses on both sides in terms of like how, you know, challenges that come up. But I think it would be interesting for people to hear what are some of the obstacles that arose for you? What are some of the things that were uh, surprisingly challenging? And what were some things that you found easier than you expected? So I feel like um, as I go on with writing, I um, I get more comfortable with myself and also with character development and growing the characters to have their own identities. And, and one thing that I do um, is I make like kind of a, this is a very messy looking thing, but oh. um, it's basically like a line and it goes down and then it goes back up in the middle down again and then that's a plot um for my story so what i do with my story because it's it's kind of historical fiction but not really yeah. but it's based on exact events in history um so what i do is i put the years and like or the specific events that happen so mm -hmm. with the story about captain kid um i put when um the war of allegiance happened and like um when he was born because i started it at when he was a child so um i started off at 1650 i'd say 1652 uh, or so no 1663 because he was about 11 or 12 years old um and then i went on from there and i just filled in my plot outline and then i just add in little notes as i go so that kind of um that kind of helps me. There's two different kinds of writers. There's a pantser and that's me, or there's what? someone who- What was the term? It's a, it's a, I think it's called a pantser. Two types of writers. It's called like a pantser. Yeah. There's a plotter and a pantser. So- Oh, interesting. A I've plotter is someone- yeah, a plotter is someone that needs everything down to a T. They need to know um, like what time date is. They need to know in each chapter. They need to know all about the characters. They have everything written down. Um, their house probably looks like they're a detective because they have sticky notes all over the place. Um, and so <laughs> so they, they plot like crazy. But with a pantser, um, they're more like free and they're like, I don't know what the next chapter is going to be about, but we'll see where it brings me. And so although mm -hmm. I make, um, although I make this paper plot like this, yeah. I generally know what it's going to be about, but mm -hmm. I don't exactly know what it's, what's going to happen, like what it's going to entail. So. Wow. So do you ever get kind of surprised by what comes up for you? Oh my God. Yeah. Like um, during the cursed spirit at the very uh, end of it, I was very surprised about how I ended it. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna do this. Oh, and it was like, it was six in the morning and I was already at work. I was in my classroom and it was before the kids came. And like, I went there early cause it was super quiet. And uh, you know, and so I was like, I have to do it. And so then I wrote the end chapter of that book in my classroom. Um, and like, wow. I, I get very surprised of the different romances that occur as well. Huh. How interesting. Do your, what, are they geared towards adults or they're? Yeah, yeah, they're like 18 and older. Okay. Do you have any kids who have read the books? I hope not. I don't think so. I think so. Like I've told their parents that it's not for okay. kids. 
time and my kids know how to work because they're like about eight years old now and they know how to work the internet and everything to find me so um if i could if i could go back in time i would use a different name on my books as the author but right. i am planning on writing children's books at some point okay um just because i um just like you had said earlier um a lot of kids don't go to read as much yeah. and i feel that if it's more enjoyable for them and it's more interesting then they'll really like it um so i was born in milford connecticut where the island is not like on the island but i was born in that same city and um the the library there had requested that I write children's books as well because they said we have a lot of children that want to read more about the island they're so interested in it because awesome. there's like the, there's yeah there's like um there's like so many rumors there's rumors right. that the Native Americans cursed it there's a rumor that Captain Kidd buried his treasure there's a rumor that people take pictures and they see paranormal. And then in the next one that comes out of the cursed in, it's a rumor of this woman in white who walks around the island and people see her at night and they, they don't know what it is and people just report seeing her. So, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's a little too scary for kids in some ways, but yeah. I feel that I could um, make it, you know, more child-friendly. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a great way for kids to understand that history isn't just a bunch of, you know, numbers and dates and, uh, you know, those are important because they give context, uh, you know, the dates and the, you know, the, the names of things, they, they give yeah. the context, but it's really, it's about people. It's the stories yeah. of people who came before us. So yes. I think when it's done in a fic fictional context, that's relatable for them, you know, like it's close to where they live. That's a great start for them to develop an interest and hopefully want to dive further. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm really good at writing from a kid's perspective. When I was writing on, so when I was writing The Cursed Vessel at the very beginning, William is a kid. And so I was writing about him playing with his friends and how he got in trouble with his teacher. And so I have a lot of like, you know, experiences to use to mm -hmm. form those chapters. And I found myself really, I really liked writing uh, those chapters when like he was a child. Very cool. How do you yeah. get into the mindset of your characters? Um, so I will listen to music with, um, the, with the cursed spirit. I listen to native American flute music sometimes, mm -hmm. actually all the time. I would play it. Like when I would like do yoga, I started using that music instead. And I would just totally get immersed into it. Um, I even would like, um, I go through Pinterest and I search images, um, you know, and I try to save a lot of those pictures that will help me to form my characters. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do that with like everything, um, with all my books. Very cool. What, I, what would you say you hope that I'm trying to think like if, if you were to, uh, you know, inspire I'm, I'm thinking really the children, but I guess for anybody listening, uh, you know, people to write, how would you encourage them to start? Um, so how I encourage my students or anybody, any yeah. age to write 
is to just jot down the ideas that they have um, mm -hmm. to start with. I mean, I have like one student who is writing about an evil hamster in his book and he doesn't know that I know this, but he left it out on his desk. So, um, but and I'm not gonna say names or whatever, but it's mm -hmm. it was just really cool because his father had told me like, he's using all my printer paper. And I'm like, what is he using it for? And he was like, he's making books now, thanks to you. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> that's very cool so um yeah. yeah so like just doing it like I found myself the other day trying to write a chapter and I was like I can't do this like I'm not in the mood and then I put my phone like somewhere out of the room I put all the distractions out of the room and I just started because sometimes it can be a little bit daunting to figure out what you want to happen exactly but if you yeah. just write one of the things that you want to happen and then you don't like it you can always delete it um with the mm -hmm. cursed spirit i had three different endings so oh, wow. i ended up yeah i ended up like writing the different endings and then i just went with the one that i liked the most so so that's a that that's a really good point because i think one of the things that's really hard for and it's not just writers i think is any creative process people become kind of attached Right. Yeah. Uh, so how do you how do you deal with that? So it sounds like it was really easy for you to just pick one of the three end endings, but I don't think it always is for people. I think a lot of times people do struggle with which which one do they pick and how do they get rid of things? So I kind of like say it out loud to some of my friends and I talk to them about it. Um, another thing that I do is I made um, aside from the like plot uh, line that I made, I make like a chapter by chapter um, line. So like basically this is like an example. You can't really see it that well, but like it'll it'll be like a bulleted list and it'll say like chapter one, this is the title and this is what's gonna happen in it. Chapter two, chapter three, because um, I think the most difficult thing is making sure that you don't have any uh, plot holes. Um, like for example, I had to draw a blueprint for what the house looked like what the resort looked like because if i said she went to use the bathroom out back in the beginning of the book and then i changed it to out front at the end then the readers are going to be like what They're, but you said it was out back then you know and, and that's just it's kind of a bad example but like if you make sure that you um jot down what your setting is like and what your characters like to do in their hair color because like if i have one character that has black hair and then I change it to light brown at the end, then like, then, I mean, you know, you have to really make sure that you have, you're taking notes while you're going. For consistency purposes. Yeah. Yeah. But how does that help you with uh, like cutting things out and choosing what? Um, so, so I kind of like have an, an overall idea of like where I'm going with a book, but um, there's like a certain character like in this past one that I didn't know if I wanted him to be evil or not and so I went on a walk and I was like thinking about it and I went on Pinterest and I looked up um how he would look in the 1800s I looked up an 1800s uh, man men's fashion I just looked up I was like I wonder what comes up so then I saw some pictures and I was like oh, he's evil looking and I was like okay that's it he he's gonna be bad <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind yeah. of how I come up with it. Very cool. So it really is kind of just an intuitive, creative kind of process. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. What do you think if you had to uh, pick the 
the things you think are going really well in, uh, you know, youth education and the things that you think need a lot of work currently? Um, so I think the things that are going really well in my school um, is um, we have like interactive read alouds that are so diverse and I absolutely love them. Um, like we have some about Rosa Parks. We have some about, um, it's a narrative um, story and it's fictional, but it's based on this grandfather that is from Italy and he came over to Ellis Island and he was talking to his granddaughter about um, about how he was not treated fairly. And a lot of the immigrants that came over were not treated fairly at all. And so it tells um, the story um, from his perspective. And um, I had just never seen a story like that before. And I know like a lot of my friends, they had their names changed um, and like they were treated very poorly just because they were Italian. Um, and you know, that, that's not just Italians, that's any race. Like there's, there's been issues with a lot of different, um, races. And I feel that, um, the read alouds that are chosen, um, are really eye-opening and they are so diverse. They cover almost everything. We have some from, um, um, from Kenya, we have some stories and some of them are like folk tales and some of them are just stories about the past. Um, we have some stories about Rosa Parks, like I said, um, and then like some baseball players as well and their history. So um, that's one of the things that I love the most. Um, I, I always am more impressed every time I read another book to them that was chosen. Very cool. Um, how do they respond to that? Um, they were so interested. Um, I have a lot of students that are like history. Um, I don't want to say geek, but they're very into history and even at eight years old, but um, they were just like sitting there, like listening through the whole thing. And the story that I was talking about is called the Matchbox Diary. Um, and that's the one of the Italian immigrant that had come over um, in the early 1900s. And they were like, wow, a baseball field looked like that back then. Like, wow, oh my gosh, it looked like, and like they were, you know, like, oh, wow, their clothing is different. And so I really like that it, I love culture. One of I minored in anthropology culture. Mm -hmm. And so I just love the culture that it teaches to these students. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of the year, I started a tradition um, with my kids because not all of us celebrate the same things. So mm -hmm. instead of getting them like a, a Christmas gift, because mm -hmm. not everybody celebrates that, um, I made a classroom cookbook. And so what I did is I asked each parent, you know, can you do have a recipe that you keep with you um, that you would like to submit to me so I can put it in our cookbook. So we have a whole cookbook of like uh, student recipes that they that they have from, you know, from their grandparents and their parents. And that was like their winter gift from me as I made copies and made a book for all of them. So um, that the culture is what I like the most about the curriculum. Interesting. What, what do you, what are some things you think you would want to change? Um, I would want to change the writing a little bit because, um, I, so my strength is writing, I would say. And mm -hmm. so I was just thinking about other teachers that might not really like writing, but they don't have someone on their team to say, oh, me, I'll do all the writing stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the county or the school or, you know, anyone who's in charge of this 
should um, make sure that we have a better writing curriculum that's more engaging for students and more um, open for them as well. We start out with doing narrative writing and I do choose a lot of really uh, fun things to do with them, but the curriculum wants them to write about um, a small moment story, just a small thing that happened in their life. And they have to write small moment stories for months. And it's like, what, like they just get so bored and they're like, what do I write about now? I already wrote about my trip to Disney. Now I mean like, and so, or like I already wrote about like when I got up this morning, like now what? And uh, so I made sure that I included like the ghost story things like uh, Halloween things and also, um, you know, if they went back in time, what is a story that they could tell? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I added in all of that interesting stuff. And so I think that they definitely need to get better at teaching writing. But unfortunately, the push right now in education across the whole country is with technology and science and math. That's, that's science and math. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought so. That's very yeah. interesting. Uh, technology makes a lot of sense. I, I definitely think technology is a big push. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How, how do the students feel about that? Um, they love technology, but, and like some of them try to pretend they're hackers when they're young, but, um, <laughs> which it's like, you're not a hacker. You're not just because you press two keys and that happened. It doesn't. And anyway, so sometimes you have to let them think they're, they're doing great, but, um, but, you know, I, I think that at my school, we don't have a formal technology curriculum. So like they kind of, we have to teach them as the teachers, mm -hmm. like just from what we know. Mm -hmm. And like one of the programs that we have, like Wixi, it's like a creation program where the students can draw things and like put text and whatever. Um, I don't know how to use it. So like, and I've learned how to use all the other things, but like, they're like, oh, can we use Wixi? And I'm like, if you do, don't ask me any questions because I don't know anything. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and then they end up trying to use it and then they're like, oh, I need help. And I'm like, I, I can't, like, I don't know. I don't know that program. Right. So um, I think that if they're going to have a push for technology and they're going to include it in these kids' lives so much, they need to um, also make sure that they're providing some sort of education um, with technology. They have some of it during media time, which is their library time and specials, but um, I just feel like it's not enough, so. Yeah, so media time, what is media time? Um, so that's when the students go to the uh, library in the school and then they like can pick out books from the library and then they, um, the librarian usually reads a book to them and then they'll go into the computer lab sometimes and they'll like, I don't even, sometimes I don't even know what they do in there. I think they sometimes do Minecraft because there's an educational Minecraft version, which um, it tells them what certain things are made of and they try to like craft those things out of like the rocks and et cetera, et cetera. Um, like it'll say, oh, you wanna build a shirt? Then you have to get all of these supplies or you know, so on and so forth. So they end up actually learning a lot um, with that, but I feel like they also should know more of the useful technology, such as like making presentations mm -hmm. and uh, public speaking is something that is so tough. And um, 
I mean, I know my kids are really little, but I feel like there's not as much of a push on public speaking. And um, now not, a lot of- Do they not do like a book reports or that kind of thing? Um, not really. They don't really do book reports as much, but they, I try to do some presentations, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if everybody is doing them in the school. Um, sure. And it really kind of is unfortunate that it's kind of up to the, I mean, it shouldn't be up to the teacher because I think it's an expectation to have the students do presentations every so often. But um, at the end of the day, like it, it really is up to the teacher. Um, to incorporate that. Wow, interesting that there, it, it's not part of like a required part of the curriculum. It's more yeah. of a teacher's discretion if they feel like, huh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's definitely useful and that would encourage them to read as well. Then they're forced to read a book and then they, then they need to prove that they had some sort of comprehension of the material, right? If they can yeah. communicate it I to will, their peers. Yeah. Yeah, because I will get like some kids that I'll say, okay, it's your time to present. And then they will say like, uh, no, I, I'm not presenting. Like, nope, not mm -hmm. happening. <laughs> like, I'm too shy or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll be like, well, that's not fair because everyone else presented and now I'm going to let you not present. That's not really fair. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I'll give you time. I'll let you go. You know, I'll give you time. You can present after this person. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know you need to eventually present even if it's saying two words about it so um so like i run into that problem sometimes but then i realize that as we do it throughout the year the kids get more comfortable with presenting so sure. um yeah, yeah. especially yeah. if they start young yeah and yeah. it's such a useful skill not everybody's gonna you know become a speaker but or, you know, or do public presentations, but that's absolutely, and I agree with you in terms of learning the technology. I mean, I know when I was growing up, you know, PowerPoint was something you had to learn how to use. You had to learn yeah. how to use Excel to make the spreadsheet. And now the technology is so much more advanced. I mean, even PowerPoint itself is not uh, nearly as simple as it was, you know, when, mm -hmm. when I was growing up. So for them to learn, uh, you know, more of a, a rudimentary kind of, uh, uh, version i guess of those you know I, I know they have other uh you know software now as well but those, those are the big ones it would be good for them to learn at least you know something a basic variation of that so that they can and i think today they're using as you said for minecraft and all sorts of pretty advanced kind of video game stuff uh but it would be really useful for them to learn things that are very practical kind of you know tangible uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. Um, and like, it just segues back to like, we need to supply all kids with, um, with, with equal access to the opportunities to do these things. Um, and it's nice that I, um, like a lot of my students this year who had a lot of computer access at home and that learned a lot of things about the computers, they would help the students that didn't know. Oh, and um, I would, yeah, and so they yeah. would be my helpers. And they'd like, one person would say like, Miss D'Angelo, can you come help me? And then the I would have a kid say, I'm going to help them, I'm going to go help them. And so be like, right on like you got this like you go you go right ahead <laughs> yeah so um yeah so although we don't have equal opportunities and we never will it just 
we're all born into different um, households and et cetera, um, and, and different bodies and all that. Um, yeah. and upbringings, everything. We, That's life. We really, yeah. We're all yeah, so we really benefit different. from social interaction and from totally. um, just, just helping each other. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think that's such a blessing for kids to learn at a young age that, you know, they have something that they can be of contribution to others, right? They they have gifts, they have skills, they have talent. And by sharing those and helping others with them, they that that's empowering for them, right? And and all of us have different strengths and weaknesses. I always say that I think of, you know, that it's like an ecosystem, you know, where Everybody kind of has, if everybody were to harness their gifts, their talents, their skills, and be of contribution, we would balance out each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, yeah. you know, that to me, that's a beautiful thing. That's, uh, yeah. So, so th- I think it's great for kids to learn that at, at a young age and not, and I think, you know, you were talking about before, like them feeling bad. I think that would mitigate some of the feeling bad because they would understand they have, you know, things that are very valuable. You know, and it's not all the same things. They don't all have the same valuable things, but they have different things that are valuable that they can. Yeah. And, and it also, it helps them to set goals too. Cause like if they had everything, then they're, what, what are the goals that they could set? You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If you have everything from the start, then, then what's the point, right? Yeah. There's, there's no sense of achievement or accomplishment, right? So yeah, that's it. And that's, I mean, that's such a great thing for kids to learn is that they can, they can really struggle with something and they can master it. And that, that's, I think in some ways, even, you know, a more beautiful and more rewarding than just naturally being good at something or just naturally being handed something. You know, if you were to work really hard and overcome something, you know, that's, that's going to set them up for some, you know, success down the road, I would think. Yeah. 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 For sure. That's, that's very true. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's times where I go in, um, to school and like some of the other teachers are like, Oh, can I get one of your books from you? And like, Mm -hmm. she's like, you know, can you bring it in? And so I'll try to hide it the best I can in my pocketbook. And so then I'll have one student, of course, say like, Oh, I saw what Miss D'Angelo has. And like, it's like, no, like, (laughs) Very, yeah, so the, the little sleuths, they're going to try and get a hold of your books. Yeah. So yes, they are. So I need to come out with these. I can either get married and change my last name uh-huh. or <laughs> or because I thought about this or I can just start writing children's books and then they can have access to something, um, which I plan to do anyway, um, just yeah. because I'm a teacher and it only makes sense. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to really like touch upon the spirituality and like overcoming and um, you know, even just relationships, um, throughout all of my books, like, um, I feel like that's one of the most important things in all of our lives, like just overcoming, um, like, like life is a mountain and you're just trying to overcome that. Um, and, you know, I think that that's really helpful. Um, and as a child, I had many, uh, traumatic experiences. Um, I, you know, I had, um, people in my life that, um, abused drugs very badly. And so um, that was that contributed to one of the reasons why I didn't really talk and why I needed to go to therapy. Um, And so, you know, I kind of, you know, going through those experiences and being able to relate 
um, on so many levels and to show empathy to my students, to my friends and family and everyone. Um, it, it has really helped me um, in many ways, so. Yeah, and, and that's really, really valuable for kids to learn, absolutely. Ways that they can cope with, with trauma. We're, we're all gonna face trauma. <laughs> it's just one of those things that we can't escape. And what's fascinating about trauma is that it's very unique to that person. So, you know, they've done studies with twins where the, both of them experience the exact same thing and they have the same DNA, you know, um, and one, one twin would be traumatized and the other wasn't. So it has a lot more to do with how you internalize it and how you respond to it. But nonetheless, as humans, we're all going to be traumatized. So, you know, learning the skills and the coping mechanisms to uh, heal from that is, you know, really powerful. Yeah. Invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your journey, and teaching us about your books. And if you have anything else you want to add, please do and tell everybody. Um, they yes. So know. thank you so much for having me. Um, and if you want, my books are all available on Amazon. Um, you can read them in any order you would like. Um, mm -hmm. There's the Cursed Spirit, the Cursed Vessel, and Presence. Um, and then the Cursed Den is coming out August 5th. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and thank you again for having me on your show. Thank you for being here. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.